Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Lily Allen Duenas, who is an international yoga teacher, meditation guide, and holistic health and wellness coach. She helps overwhelmed individuals reduce their emotional overload and find balanced breath and space for self-care. Lily is the founder of the Wild Yoga Tribe and is the host of the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. She has taught yoga classes and wellness workshops all over the world. Her journey has led her to a life of flexibility, fluidity, and has fostered a vast reservoir of compassion, curiosity, and creativity. She endeavors to guide others on their path to living a life centered on wholehearted well-being. Welcome, Lily Allen Duenas. Thank you so much, Leo. It is a joy to be here with you. I'm excited. I really want to dive into because you got a lot of uh, adjectives in your bio. You got, <laughs> you got it's almost creativity. like I'm a writer or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got compassion, curiosity. Um, the word that jumps out to me is when you you talk about helping people find space for self care. Can you talk to me about that part? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just, it breaks my heart (laughs) how we have started in our Western cultures normalizing uh, sacrifice and uh, selflessness, right? We can put that up on a pedestal that, or even the go, 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 fast paced, uh, overwhelmed, stressed, a to do list that is completely impossible to achieve. Um, which of course generates all sorts of tough <laughs> sensations. Um, so I feel like with how we're normalizing these uh, personality traits or these lifestyles, we're kind of eliminating self-care. And I know it has come more into focus in the last couple of years. It's been trending on Instagram, self-care Sunday, and it's a photo of a woman with a glass of wine or a cupcake. (laughs) And I I think there's so much more to self-care than just a treat, um, you know, or, or something small, like, like that. I I think that self-care it's all about allowing yourself to be first in situations, allowing yourself to be a little selfish. And I would love to note that the word selfless, you know, something we celebrate means literally the the definition literally means without self or not of self the you know the root list means without or not of or cannot be so if you're constantly constantly being selfless and pouring out all of your love and care and attention just everywhere else or just all of your energy even into your work and into your meetings and into your uh, to your endeavors your professional world and no matter what you're pouring it out you're losing yourself if you're not creating space for self-reflection, silence, self-growth. And so that's why it's one of the, the big pillars, my, my big talking points. Well, well you, you talked about silence and reflection. And I, at least for me, silence terrifies me. And I, I didn't realize that until like, you know, like on a long drive, I need a podcast. I got to talk to somebody. As soon as I get home, I'm putting on music and TV. Um, like I need some type of background noise. Why is silence so terrifying for a lot of people? Why can't we just sit with ourselves for a little bit? Right. I think that is a product of how we are now constantly stimulated by it's just it's just normal, right? To always have music or your phone in your hand, or you're even being bombarded with noises outside the cars, the horns, the honking, the dogs, the, or other people talking or the TV in the background, even if you're not watching it, it's still on in the corner of every waiting room and every uh, sports bar or just restaurant. It's just, we're just so flooded. And I think it's become habit um, to kind of have something to focus on. That's not our own thoughts. And of course, I think it's very scary when you don't spend time in silence, you don't have that practice. You, you don't involve that in your, in your life or in your day-to-day at all. 
that you start to develop a little aversion for what's going on in there, which isn't always pretty, right? Our minds are so powerful in the yogic and Buddhist traditions. They can be likened to so many different animals, but I love the image of a wild elephant. Um, There's a story in Buddhism where they say your mind is like as powerful as a wild elephant wreaking havoc in a village, like just it's stomping over everything. It's, it's can create so much chaos and then, or like a monkey bringing, swinging from branch to branch to branch. If you've ever been around monkeys before, which I've spent a lot of time in India and and Nepal and they're, they're, they're everywhere. They're like squirrels. (laughs) They're they're just everywhere. Um, the mind is like that. It's amazing how, the more you get to know it, or the more you don't even spend time with it, you try to avoid it. You realize, okay, this isn't so comfortable to always just be with myself and be with my thoughts. This isn't so pleasant. And then when that discomfort sits in, it's very natural to avoid it and have a version for it. But that's part of my, my message and mission as well is there's so much to learn from being quiet. Um, there's so much to learn from listening to your inner voice and to developing a better relationship with yourself. I think it's with this reflection and with this listening skills that you really see yourself more clearly. You see how your mind works more clearly. You see your habit, your mental habits, your mental formations. And with that, you can maybe have a little space for it, right? A little loosening, a little realization of, ah, I don't have to listen to everything my mind says. We're the observer of the mind, you know, we're observing the witness of our thoughts. We're we're not our thoughts. Our thoughts aren't true. In fact, there's statistics out there like 90 or 80% of what we think is all just illusion, delusion, lies. It's, it's just false, you know? So we really shouldn't be placing so much weight on every thought we have and I think it's that habitual energy of not having silence that can create that kind of distaste for it, distaste for it. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. We can't trust everything that's in our mind. I, I know that um, I had a, a three hour drive back from a show the other night and it was, you know, like 1 a.m. And the thoughts that I have at 1 a.m., I definitely should not be listening to like they're they're you know, violent, intrusive, uh, sad. They're just so emotional. And I'm just like, I need to get home, get to bed, get to sleep, and then see where my mind is. Because right now, these are all the the worst parts of my thoughts uh, coming up at 1 a.m. trying to stay awake on a highway. And I, and I think a lot of us don't realize that, you know, we're just so, like you said, overworked, go, 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 tired and stressed. And, and then the thoughts that start to creep in aren't thoughts that we would have if we had a good night's sleep and and took a little time for some silence and self-care. Yeah, I agree. It's, it is moments like those three hour drives late at night when you hear it so loudly and, and scarily that you're like, Ooh, okay. you know, uh, it's not, it isn't the time to listen but it's amazing when you can kind of catch yourself, even if you you open your inbox and you, you start to spiral and you just notice, Ooh, I'm starting to spiral. That's all me. Just a taking it personally, B being reactive, not responsive, you know, like you, when you start to catch those habits, Oh, it is. Oh, it's just such a relief, you know, stopping that momentum. Well, I love that you said reactive, not responsive and catching those thoughts, because, you know, for a lot of my listeners who have suicidal thoughts, they think because they have them that, you know, you know, we should act on them and not realizing that there are extenuating circumstances that might be causing us to have those thoughts like a lack of sleep, poor nutrition, um, overworked, overstressed, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of times it's not wanting to end our lives as much as it's um you know just wanting to alleviate the pain or not feel like a burden or not feeling any hope and it's those moments of silence where we can really get clarity on what we want lily you know it's it would be easy for people to look at you and think that you've always had these insights and that you've always been a person who can sit with silence have you always been this person 
or were you like a wild child swinging from branch to branch as a kid? Mm, good question, Leo. <laughs> no, I have definitely not always had these realizations. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of leaning in to the, just the pain, you know, the emotional pain, mental pain, physical pain, you know, the, nobody's really immune from, you know, rock bottom in ways. And I've been overworked and underappreciated and burnt out. And I felt trapped in a difficult relationship with a difficult man before. And, you know, I know, I know how it feels to feel powerless and insecure and, and just broken. Like I, I get that. And it, it just took a lot of therapy, a lot of books, a lot of hard work, a lot of courage too, right? It's, it's brave to not run away and escape to, you know, to lean into that pain and to find some semblance of a way through it. And it, it taught me so many lessons I mean, every day, <laughs> always lessons, but I, I think my mind has been very loud, very negative, a lot of negative self-talk, uh, a lot of self, yeah, negative self-talk, a lot, very loud, very chaotic ever since I can remember. And I, I first kind of heard about meditation. It was never brought up in my family. I certainly wasn't encouraged by a parent or an aunt or anything, but I somehow discovered it and I signed up for a YMCA camp, <laughs> like morning meditation class for a week when I was about 12. So I really early on knew, okay, this is really loud in here. I think it should be a little quieter. <laughs> so I was already reaching out for strategies, really young and tools to, to try to manage how loud the mind can be and how, how that, how that so much of our discomfort is just from inside um, stirring those pots and swinging from branch to branch. So although I certainly didn't master anything at 12, it's been a, a long journey. I, I feel really grateful to be in where I am now and the space I'm in now so I can help others to find this breath and space and self-care as well. First of all, shout out to YMCA. I, I just actually came from there this morning. I got my morning swimming and Growing up, YMCA always had like this negative uh, stigma of like it's dirty, it's old, uh, whatever. But the YMCA's I've been to are dope and amazing. And the fact that you found a, a meditation space at a YMCA and that's what got you on this journey is a beautiful thing. So shout out to the YMCA's out there, um, you know, bringing communities together and helping people find silence within themselves. Um, what was going on in your world at 12 years old where you're like, I got to sign up. I mean, it's one thing to stumble on a meditation class. You signed up for this at 12. What, what was going on in a household with her parents divorcing or, or, your, or the sibling rivalry? What was happening? Mm. Uh, well, I, my parents did divorce or separate when I was 18, but it was a, you know, a long time coming. So there's that element. Um, but I think it, it really just felt so, so internal. I, I think I, I just had that almost just predisposition to being very in my head, very observant, very, uh, emotional, very sensitive, I certainly had want, I took everything personally when I was young, I was very concerned about what others thought of me and what, um, what others said about me, especially it just has always kind of been a focal point, you know, when I was in my youth and before I've, I've done all this work to get where I am now. Um, but I, I know there was a lot of chaos in in friends and just puberty and, but again, Leo, I think it's just my mind. It just was my mind. I, I think that I'm not unique in this. I know we all have these loud, noisy, chaotic minds, but I've just been hyper aware of it ever since I was, I was little. I, I know it should be, there's ways, there's ways, there's, there has to be a way where it's just not so uncomfortable in our head, right? It just, ha there has to be. And I knew it. Um, so that's why I've dedicated you know, over half my, over half of my life to finding these, these tools to actually have breath and have space 
in, in the mind so that it can be more in balance, be a little bit more free, just free inside. That's what I think most important. You know, as I look back on my childhood, I do remember that feeling of, you know, just needing to get on my bike and ride and, and I would ride for hours. And looking back, that was probably my form of meditation because, you know, I, I wasn't riding my bike to go, you know, meet up with friends or go do a thing. I just knew that when I was emotionally chaotic, mentally just, uh, you know, uh, disoriented, um, getting on my bike was the thing for me to do. And I burned a lot of calories doing it. I don't know why I stopped doing it. But, um, but it was a very healthy way of, of me just uh, working through my emotions. And then when I got back, whatever was there uh, was gone, at least for the time being. So, you know, it, it, it uh, uh, leans to your point of when we're young, we just kind of know. It's an innate kind of thing of what we need. Um, and maybe we don't know specifically what we need, but we know that we're not getting what we need right now. And, and so we have to work to find it, to seek it, uh, and to engage with it. So shout out to you at 12 for, for knowing, you know, that that was your thing, or at least taking a chance. I mean, not that you really did know, but you're like, you were curious and open enough to explore it. Yeah. And I love that you brought up riding your bike as a form of meditation because it absolutely is. I mean, you can actually do mindful bike riding, mindful running, mindful cooking, mindful teeth brushing. There, there's ways that you can actually be meditating in a way while doing these things consciously. But if in the unconscious, just knowing you need to ride your bike, those repetitive movements actually elicit um, the parasympathetic response in your body, which is that rest and digest um, side of our nervous system versus the sympathetic, which is that flight, flight. Um, so repetitive movements, silence, calm sounds like music, mantras, um, you know, even getting, doing a little inversion, getting your head below your heart, you will slow down your heartbeat, deep breathing, uh, especially with focus on the exhalation. These are all things that can activate your, your parasympathetic response, which is really when we're able to calm our whole system down. Um, it even improves our immune system when it's activated. Um, it allows our, our immune function to like go out and search for little viral and bacteria invaders and better for our memory and our digestive system, our reproduction functioning, all these housekeeping, housekeeping activities are with the parasympathetic. And I think a huge problem, which I touched on again in the beginning is we're really locked in and as a society into a, a sympathetic style lifestyle versus naturally we're supposed to swing back and forth every, I don't know, like 80 minutes to four hours. It's supposed to be a natural swing, but we're locked in. I mean, think of an eight hour work day. You are focused, awake, alert, active, thinking, working. <laughs> and, and when that happens, it's, it's like being, it, it, well, it really wears down the tissues in the body and, and it, it's just that overstimulation with the fight and flight, which actually causes a lot of stress. So it's going to be affecting the musculoskeletal system, respiratory, cardiovascular, uh, gastrointestinal, endocrine, nervous, like all of our systems get so affected by stress. Um, so I, I didn't mean to geek out on the physiological stuff there, but I think that the more we can do these little practices like bicycle riding, meditation, just deep breathing, even for five minutes to kind of push the body more towards a state of just, you know, wellness and relaxation where our body can take care of itself. Um, it's amazing. I think there's small things that can go a long way. Yeah. And I think for a lot of us, I know, especially for me that we wait until you know, the house is in, cause you talked about house clique, you know, keeping activities being breath and meditation and repetitive movements. And I, I think that uh, the, the challenge for a lot of people is that they wait until they're in extreme fight or flight to then try to incorporate these techniques and then say it doesn't work. When, and you know, let me know how you feel about this, Lily. It's really about maintaining a daily practice of housekeeping 
so that we don't spiral out into extreme fight or flight scenarios or uh, chaotic minds where then it becomes too, you swam too far from shore for the lifeguard to come get you and save you, you know? Um, and so when we practice uh, daily silence, daily deep breathing, going for a walk on a, on a daily basis, um, then we can catch those chaotic moments before they become catastrophes. What are your thoughts on that? Mm, I love that, Leo. I love your analogy too with the lifeguard and going a little too far from shore from that to save you. I mean, the lifeguard can always save you, but if the lifeguard is meditation, then yeah, then yeah it's, it's definitely going to be more beneficial when it's not coming from that you know, the tiger is literally breathing down your neck kind of sensation. Um, I think that having that practice where if you could set a little bell to go off, I have plum village is, uh, tick, uh, Han. Um, he's a Vietnamese monk. He has this amazing app, totally free available in the app store called plum village. And you can set it that every one hour, a little, a very gentle bell rings, you know, a nice Tibetan bowl type sound. It's very pleasant. And you get to close your eyes and take three deep breaths. And that's what's encouraged with that sound of the bell every hour. And I have it set from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. I, I don't have it going off in the middle of the night. It's it's not going to interrupt anything. And it's so it's such a beautiful reminder to just take those three deep breaths, close your eyes, come back to your body, come back to your breath check your perspective, check where tension is in your body. Are you clenching your jaw? Is your shoulders up by your ears? Um, so it's these, these little strategies of having, having little, um, reminders here and there and to come back, not swim out too far. <laughs> you can put a little post-it note or a, a specific colored, you know, sticky dot sticker somewhere that, you know, every time you walk by it, you know, to say an affirmation and, you know, or every time you brush your teeth, you can be really dedicated to just brushing your teeth very mindfully or going for that 15 to 30 minute walk every day and always knowing, okay, on that walk, that's when I'm listening to Leo flowers podcast. And I'm feeling great because <laughs> I'm getting my community and my empathy and my humans with me, or you can choose to do half of it in silence and half of it with some really calming, beautiful piano music. Um, just these constant kind of consistent daily efforts. I agree, Leo It's it's the key. Um, and unfortunately the way our brain treats, um, stress it's, it's all treated like we're being chased by a tiger. Um, even though it's a paper tiger, even though it's not life-threatening, it's, our body still kicks into high alert, no matter if it's an email or a, a test or a really something much more extreme, a, a high danger, a real tiger. If it was a real tiger really chasing you, it's the same biological reaction in our bodies, the same one that just an email or just our thoughts starting to go out of control. Your body will respond the same. So to kind of keep our systems more in balance. Um, yeah. Having these small strategies is totally key to, to keep in those adrenal glands from pumping out adrenaline and, and then the, the giant chain reaction that happens after that. Lily, what I love about your story is that you talked about how you went through, you know, you had some emotional issues, some physical issues, difficult relationship. And there were moments where you felt powerless and secure and broken. And you went to meditation, you went to therapy, you read books, and you did yoga. And I bring all that up to say that for the listeners out there, for the people out there, that there's not a one-stop shop for our health and wellness. It takes a, a team effort. It takes a group effort. It takes, you know, exploring different modalities, whether you know, it's going to therapy, reading books, uh, you know, going to the YMCA, riding your bike. It, it, there's not a one thing fix all because, and I bring that up because so many people are taking pills and they think that that, that Adderall, that Ambien, that Ativan, that uh, the, the Lexapro is, is, is going to be the solution. And it takes 
so many things that we have to engage in and uh you know for us to find that peace that tranquility that compassion that that and open up our our curiosity and, and creativity uh what, what do you say to that lily yeah yeah leo you got it um thank you for for saying that and it is true that it isn't a one-stop shop. Um, there isn't, I think, a, a magic pill that will solve all the problems um, when it comes to mental health because it's so all-encompassing. It touches all elements of our wellness and our well-being. It it just has all these sneaky little tendrils <laughs> that just by taking a pill that kind of deactivates certain certain hormones or certain neural pathways or whatever it's trying to do in your brain. What was your physical, uh, you know, cause I, I have friends who teach yoga and, and practice yoga and there's definitely been injuries in that realm. Did you, how did you, what was your physical uh, injury? Sure. Yeah, no, I, ever since I was really little, I was a pretty competitive in soccer too. Um, and I, uh, I got pretty severe patella tendonitis in both of my knees as like, uh, I think it's kicked in when I was 14. And I mean, it was so painful that my mom would say, Oh, do you want to, you know, go shopping? And I'd say, no, my knees hurt too bad. And I just be on the couch with ice packs and for hours and hours, because I, it just wasn't so much physical pain for a little while there. And then I've had some various various other things, you know, I, I have a very beautiful little, a little spirit home. <laughs> I love my little, my, my body. It's I'm very lucky to have this body as the home for my spirit, but it's, it's not a, it's not immune to all of the, the things that crop up. It's just, I think no matter what physical thing someone's struggling with, what I had very severe acne for a while too, whether it's acne or a GI problem. I also had really tough GI problems, which were more related, I think, to my stress than anything else. But at that phase in my, that particular phase in my life, when they were really, really on high, high overdrive, um, I wasn't in the place where I even thought I was stressed, you know, it's just so hidden. Um, but it's through these, these practices, as, as you said, Leo, that we, we come, we come out of it. We, we kind of safeguard ourselves. It's like every single time I, I wake up and I choose not to look at my phone and I repeat an affirmation three times in my head, I count that as like one layer, you know, then I, I sit and I meditate for 10 minutes. That's another layer. It's like these, these protective coatings we're just dipping ourselves into or covering ourselves with to help safeguard our well being. Um, it's a daily practice. And of course, you can take two steps forward and feel like you're taking 10 steps back, but with each time you do it, you're continuing to, to build that muscle, that muscle of self-care, the muscle of self-awareness. And I think that's what, where it comes in. So, you know, having a GI gastrointestinal issues and, and also acne, were there changes to your nutrition and diet that you've made? I, I, I know a lot of yogas are usually like plant-based or but I know I know some carnivore uh, yogis. What what uh, is your nutritional preference? Great question. Yeah, I'm actually a vegan nutritionist. Um, I became vegan about five years ago and a vegetarian. Ooh, wow. We might be we might be coming up here on my ten year vegetarian anniversary here, November. All right, um, that's fun. Yeah. So I've been plant based for a long time and. I found that when I made that transition, it was during my GI problems, um, about 10 years ago. And I, it just changed everything for me. I felt so much lighter and brighter and cleaner. And you know, when you just feel a little lighter, not as heavy and, and weighed down, it just, Oh, it felt amazing. I am a big believer that, um, how you eat will of course impact your entire system. You're, you're actually becoming what you eat, uh, in, in that, I know people make that joke, but if you think about it, you eat a banana and the banana literally disappears. It is in your body. <laughs> it is, it, it's cells become your cells. It's, 
um, all of that minerals, all of whatever your body can absorb at that time, it gets absorbed and, and incorporated. And it's, it's amazing how food has that, has that ability to really impact even our mental health. And there's things you can eat like sunflower seeds are phenomenal to eat first thing in the morning. Um, I read a study saying how it was very, it has these very, very micronutrients, which can help kind of guard against depression was what the the findings were saying. So if anyone out there is interested in having some sunflower seeds on their, you know, morning toast or something, I would, I'm a big believer in also finding these little, these little foods that can help us feel better and, and more grounded from the nutrient standpoint point, as well as you, even from an energetic standpoint, I also believe in Ayurveda, which is the science of life. It's an ancient Indian, I mean, really, really old system of medicine for treating each person as a person, not as a patient. And there's no one size fits all answer for anyone, but there's a lot of in there, of course, about nutrition and food. And it's amazing what they already had figured out like 10,000 years ago. They just, they knew a lot <laughs> that we know today that I, I don't even know how they knew it, but just by knowing more about yourself and your body and your energy, you know, okay, I'm a person who I personally, me, I need a lot of root vegetables to help me feel really grounded. I need carrots. I need, um, parsnips. I need anything that's been in the ground a long time to really yeah, just stabilize me, help that very wind based, very chaotic, windy mind, uh, stay more still versus if I'm always eating popcorn, salads, chips, these things that are very light and airy, it, it helps. It just makes my thoughts spin out even faster in a way. And it, when you discover more of these things, these energetic elements to the food as well, and how that can affect your, it's called dosha. It's your kind of personality type or personality characteristics. Um, there's so much information that you can, you can use and incorporate and inform your decisions for your mental health. Wow. I'd never thought about that root vegetables to keep you grounded in those light. Like I, it's so funny because I just stopped eating salads. I was like, I don't know. Me and salads don't really get along. I just feel, um, I don't know, dysregulated or it's just something off about it. And, uh, but I do love root vegetables. I haven't been having them for a while, but, um, I might have to come back to them. Now, what about, uh, beans and like quinoa? What do you think about those? Yeah. Beans are amazing. A great source of protein, especially for vegans. It's going to be your beans and your nuts that are really, you know, cashews, almonds and everything and seeds and grains that come in for your protein. Um, so I love beans. Um, <laughs> it's a funny sentence. I love beans, but, um, I really enjoy eating them at my midday meal. It's when you really have a lot of, um, uh, it's going to sound woo woo, but you have more digestive power in the afternoon. The sun is at its highest and your, your functioning of your system is at its optimum level. Um, if you're eating a really heavy, um, really protein dense, whether you eat meat or whether you eat beans at night, it, we're not going to continue to move for much, many more hours after that. We're probably eating dinner and then probably sitting on the couch. It's we don't have that digestive fire that we'd need to really be working through it. So I, I really do love beans. Quinoa is great. Definitely. If you're, we're opting for white rice or opting for quinoa, you're going to have a lot more micronutrients in the quinoa, a lot more fiber. It's a great breakfast, um, to switch out and swap for oats. Um, some easy recipes, you know, just making your quinoa then adding some, apples and cinnamon, walnuts, or some berries. I, I love adding uh, cinnamon and maybe a little, you know, some dates or some brown sugar, what, how, whatever type of sweetener you need to have in there, but good questions, big fans. And if with the beans pro tip, if you could have any tomatoes with it or anything with citrus, it's going to help you absorb your protein faster. If you have a little citrus with that. What? I didn't know you could swap out uh, oats for quinoa. Let's go. I'm excited. I'm excited. Boom. Enjoy, bag. Leo. <laughs> I am going to do that. Um, and you're right. You know, I, I was talking to my mom. My mom is from Belize. And I was asking her, like, what they ate. Because my grandmother lived to be 96 and never needed glasses or 
uh, hearing aids. And she said like they would eat a, a regular breakfast. Uh, it was probably more like eggs and something else. And then a heavy lunch. And then they would have tea for dinner or like a light snack, maybe uh, a few leftovers from lunch, but something, something very light so that um, they weren't bombarding their digestive, digestive system as they were trying to sleep at night, which is so the opposite of how we typically do it in, a, in America where dinner is like, uh, you know, your main meal, a, a appetizer, a salad, a, a dessert, a this and a that, and then none of us are getting good sleep as a result of that heavy meal. Yeah, I don't think you, you really feel good after a big meal. I think we intuitively, if you're paying attention, you know, oh, I, I feel bloated, I feel heavy, I feel like all I want to do is lay on the couch. Like, if that's how you're feeling, something's not right. <laughs> it's a big signal if you just feel like, oh, I have no energy. Oh, I don't feel great. Oh, I just want to lay down. If that's how you're feeling, that's your body's telling you loud and clear. Okay, time to make time to make some changes. Now, I'm a big tea drinker. I'm going to assume that Lily Allen Duenas is also a tea drinker. What what do you, do you have a tea for the morning and a tea at night? Now I'm just picking your brain. No, I'm glad you asked. I'm a huge tea person. This is funny that you, <laughs> you asked me this, Leo. Um, I used to be a coffee girl. Um, used to be a two or three cup a day when I was back in my quote unquote previous life in marketing in the U S big coffee girl. And then I, I never really was big on um, I've ha I have a long history in my family of um, alcoholism, so I've always been very careful. No drugs, very very little alcohol, and I'm very careful. Um, and I didn't even think anything of coffee. Uh, but one time I was in India and I was seeing this Ayurvedic doctor, and he was asking me all of those and doctor type questions and asked me about coffee. And I said, no, yeah, I, I drink a cup or two a day. Usually um, it's the only thing I really do just really helps me feel good. And I look forward to it every day. And he was explaining how coffee is really acidic. And at the same time, it's a diuretic and a stimulant. So it is just like aggressively attacking your tummy, especially if you put milk and sugar there, it is essentially a perfect storm to create digestive chaos. So, um, and you know, if you you're feeling you've had a couple cups, you know, that jittery sensation, you know, that you're quick to startle you're, you're, you're it's in a way it's this, that part of that fight or flight, you're just jumpy and you don't feel great. Um, but the doctor, I wasn't, I was not suffering from any of that really, but he said to me, Oh, do you not think you're strong enough to quit? And the way he phrased that, I, it just, uh, you know, me being me, I said, Oh my gosh, of course I am. So ever since then, I haven't had any coffee. I do a cup of black tea in the morning. Um, I really, for me, I, I like Tetley's or I like a black masala chai. I'm, I'm happy with pretty much any black tea afternoon. I'll have a green tea, Jasmine green usually, um, or something floral. And then in the evenings, you're going to absolutely find me with a big rotation of teas. I have uh, boxes from all over the world. I was just in Egypt and I didn't buy any souvenirs, but I bought a lot of spices and teas. That's how I travel. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly how I travel spices and teas. Those are, those are my favorite. Um, and then, yeah, I just got into the matcha, uh, green tea and I like to put those in my smoothie sometimes. Ooh, I've um, never done a matcha smoothie. Tell uh, me a recipe. So basically, it's just like if you're making a, a protein smoothie. So it's, you know, banana, protein powder, uh, ice, water, and then I put in powdered uh, matcha. Uh, so there's, you know, there's two different types of powder. There's the ceremonial grade, and then there's the, I forget what the other grade is called. But the, um, but the other one is for smoothies and like to be blended. Whereas, uh, the other matcha tea is like more like with just hot water or oat milk, or you would whisk it in the, with the bamboo whisk. So there's one for your smoothie. And then there's one that you would drink more traditionally, um, with the bamboo whisk. And, and they, they say it like on the front, when you, when you go to get it, it'll let you know, um, if it's for your smoothie or not. So I just get that and then put it in there. So now my protein shake has a little kick to it 
and I find it doesn't disrupt my sleep. That's what I like about the matcha green tea is uh, it's enough caffeine to make me feel awake, but not like hyper or like too alert. However, I will say that I just, um, I was just told I have asthma. I have, well, not told, but I just discovered I have asthma this year um, and just developed it. And having any type of caffeine before my workout can trigger my asthma symptoms. So when I do have caffeine, I'll have to have it after my workouts as, a, as opposed to before. So I will say that. All right. Well, that's a great recipe. I've never thought to put matcha in the smoothies. I was making it um, for a little while. I was doing kind of green tea matcha with a little bit of almond milk type of, I mean, I guess it's called a latte. There was no coffee involved, but uh, I was really loving that for a while. So I, I never once thought to put it in the smoothie. I bet it definitely gives it a little health boost. <laughs> oh, so and it's so good. Uh, earlier, Lily, you talked about you know, being in a difficult relationship. And I know so many of my listeners are in challenging relationships. What gave you the strength to get out of that difficult relationship? Because a lot of times we're blaming ourselves for what's happening or we're making excuses for the other person. How did you get yourself out of there? I I wish I'd gotten out a little quicker. (laughs) So I, I can relate to any of your listeners, Leo, who, who have that struggle because it's so painful. It's so hard. And, and it feels like you're, you're just powerless and stuck. And it's so scary when your whole life has become centered around someone else and your identity, maybe even right. Or maybe they've been telling you over and over again, you know, how, how, how powerless you are and making you feel that way. And you, you're, your self-talk is so negative. You, you don't believe you're strong enough. You it's, it's just the worst. I I'm really sorry for anyone out there. Who's who's suffering from that. It does take a lot of courage, uh, a lot of strength. And I was very lucky to have been, had a great therapist and I was working with her for a few years. And when I finally told her I I'd moved out and I'd ended it finally, she looked at me, gave a big exhale and said, Ah, it's about time. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) You could have told me to do this ages ago, but of course therapists don't tell you what to do. You have to come there yourself. So I, I I had great friends who, who kind of held that mirror up of how bad it was getting, but I wasn't listening for a long time. And then, you know, finally a line gets crossed. And after that line gets crossed, there's no, you know, you can't uncross it. So for me, it kind of took took to get into a certain, certain place for me to start saying to friends, Hey, if I think I'm ready to end this, can I move in type of thing? I, I had to start having a strategy. I had to have an exit route and then I could make that decision. But therapy was amazing as was for me, uh, reading, reading books on psychology and on kind of the, in that category of kind of self-care or, or self-betterment or whatever, however, we're going to be categorizing that. But the more I learned about attachment theory or boundaries or all these different kind of things that might be relevant to what, um, what I was experiencing in my relationship kind of helped me to learn, okay, I'm not alone. There's some explanations for this as well, a little bit, some biological, some psychological, and the more information I had, the more kind of tools I felt like I, I had in my little tool belt <laughs> also, of course, with the help of therapists, friends, uh, a lot of self-work to get to that place. And from the time that you, you actually left, um, to the time you thought about leaving, how long was that? Like six months, two years, one year, maybe a hair over one year. And, and I asked that because I think, uh, like you said, a lot of Books helped you feel like you weren't alone in this. And a, and a lot of people feel like they are alone in their situation and are beating themselves up for not having got out sooner. When, you know, when I talk to a lot of people who are in difficult relationships, it takes them a year to two years because, like you said, there's also the financial component of where am I going to stay? You know, you were, you were lucky enough to be able to stay with a friend. And then you had to strategize. You couldn't just 
you didn't just wake up one morning and be like, this relationship doesn't work. I'm leaving today. Like it, it took a year of planning and gathering materials and figuring out what your exit plan was going to be uh, versus just having the thought and then doing it. So for the listeners out there who are, are strategizing, who are taking their time, just know that that's, that is what it requires because it's such an entanglement of resources that you, know, when you, that you have with somebody else that to you know, finally break yourself free is going to take time and a strategy and a team. Yeah, I'm a perfect word for it, Leo, entanglement. It's messy, it's tangled, it's tough, and it does take time. Besides the books on attachment, were there any other books that you read? Uh, are there any fictional books that you've read that made you feel less alone or that really spoke to you kind of like a self-help book, even though it wasn't a self-help book? Ooh, uh, nothing is coming to mind in terms of fiction, but I will mention Anne Lamott. She does write some fiction, but I, I really prefer, <laughs> prefer her self-help books um, or, or those books that are kind of more in that um, nonfiction, you know, how about how messy life is realm. Um, I love her audiobooks. I love listening to the sound of her voice and She's so poetic and she just hits the nail on the head in like three sentences and you just feel it in your heart and you're like, oh my gosh, it's exactly, it is so hard and it, it is so tough. And, and she, um, every time that she actually is in a high, uh, a high building, a high place, a high space, uh, she always just, uh, fantasizes about throwing herself off the top always. And, and she talks about it and she talks about how just hard it is to stay alive and to be alive and, and how it's a gift, but also just, she's real. She's really real. And if you're looking for a voice out there besides our wonderful Leo flowers <laughs> to, to, to feel kind of, okay, I, I am really there. I'm really not alone. Someone's out there and they, they get it, they get it and they feel it. And they're writing about it in a way that makes me also laugh. She's hilarious and she's creative and yeah, powerful, passionate, just at her empathetic capacity dazzles me. So check out Anne Lamott. Yeah, she's great. I just finished Bird by Bird and you're mm -hmm. right. Like she has such a beautiful way of articulating her feelings and experiences. And, um, you know, she just brings you in. You, you mentioned how, you know, she she does talk about going to the top of a building and and wanting to throw herself off. Have you have you been to that place before? I don't think I've been to the, that place, uh, not at the top of a building. Um, certainly not, but I've been in a space where I've, yeah, I mean, I've definitely thought about it in a, in a more serious way, but for me, I I'm, was lucky that it wasn't something I struggled with for an, a really sustained amount of time. Um, and I haven't read Anne Lamott's bird by bird. I loved her, her book help. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> and hallelujah. Anyway, um, those are, those are two that I would probably recommend. Excellent. And then last two questions. Uh, what are you looking forward to Lily Allen doing this? Mm, what am I looking forward to? Hmm. I, I always look forward to my morning cup of tea every day. It's such a celebration for me. Um, I look forward to my wonderful and loving husband coming home from work. Finally found a really, really good one. <laughs> so keeping him and I'm looking forward to my daily yoga practice uh, more in the long run. I'm really looking forward to our times here in this pandemic, you know, I'm looking forward to being more in the shadow of it. So we're coming out, coming out of the shadow of the pandemic. And I'm looking forward to things opening up and being able to see more loved ones and travel a bit more. And so I'm excited for. Yeah. I, I really love your podcast because you're always featuring people from different parts of the world. Uh, you know, Burma, Egypt, uh, Sri Lanka, Budapest and uh, different parts. And so it, it it's a way of like reminding us how connected we are and how common our experiences are. Uh, tell people where they can find you and plug all your things. 
Yeah. Thanks Leo. Um, so I am the host of the wild yoga tribe podcast and, uh, that is a yeah podcast. You can find anywhere you listen. It's focus is to shine a light on the global yoga ecosystem and all of the interconnected aspects of the whole path of yoga. So each week I interview a yoga teacher from a different country around the world. And I would love for you to tune in and check it out and learn more about yoga, meditation, sound healing, sound therapy, uh, transformational yoga. There's, there's so many teachers from all over of so much to share. So tune in, tap in, join, and let me know your thoughts. I'm on Instagram as well and Facebook and Pinterest and Twitter. I feel like wherever you're at, I'll be there too at wild yoga tribe. Also my website, wildyogatribe.com packed full of resources, really, really robust blog. I write a lot. <laughs> I'm a freelance writer as well. So I, I do a lot of writing and I have free yoga classes on YouTube and free meditations on insight timer. And of course, if you want to work with me in private settings online, um, there I have great spaces for that as well. And you can find out more on my website. I love it. And last question, I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them? Lily Allen, join us. You're loved. You're loved. You're wanted. You're meant to be here. You're worthy. Yeah. Just, I think it all, it all comes from, from love. Thank you so much, Lily Allen. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the one 800 S-U-I-C-I-D-E or 1-800-273-TALKS or any of the international phone numbers, whether you're in Burma, Sri Lanka, Laos, wherever you are, there are international phone numbers for you. You can talk, you can chat, you can text. Um, there are Facebook groups. There are groups that you can join. There are financial resources available to you. Those are all listed in the show notes. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Lily Allen. Thank you, Leo. It's been a joy to be with you.